today. We're going to be sort of continuing our secrets of a successful faith that we talked about last week. Um, but if you have your Bible, turn with me to um, Matthew 9, 37. And it's, it's Jesus talking. And he was talking and he, he saw a vast crowd. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. It said, when he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. He turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers to harvest his grain. And essentially what Jesus was saying was his eyes were looking across all of these people and he recognized that there were needs in the people that needed to be met, but there were very few people who were willing to do what it would take to meet those needs. And so um, I, want, I felt like the Lord would put that verse on my heart today in which is a great way to segue into something he's had on our heart for a few months now. And so I want to do a, a, an announcement of sorts before I talk about our teaching today. And I want to talk about our kids' ministry for a second. And we have a really phenomenal thing happening in our church, um, and I'm sure you guys are all very well aware that we are largely children here in this church. You can look around the room, and if all the kids were in here, we wouldn't have a whole lot of seats. And I was actually looking at some statistics. I'm in a kids' ministry group on Facebook with thousands of, of kids' ministry people around the nation. And somebody was talking this week about the statistics of a healthy church and, and how you can gauge a healthy church based on how many kids are in the church. And I thought, this is an interesting way to look at it. And so they said that a typical scale of a healthy church is somewhere between 10 to 20% of the children of the church being children. And an out-of-this-world church, they would call having 30% of the church being children. And then there's very few churches that would have statistically more than 30% be in, you know, children in their church. And what I find fascinating about here at Bethel is that we hit about 33% uh, of our people in this church are children. And, you know, that comes with its moments of going, oh, my gosh. And then it comes with moments of saying, this is amazing. And in general, I think our heart as for all of us here is this is really an amazing thing to have families who are saying the most important thing I can do is put my kid in a church where they're going to understand Jesus, they're going to grow, they're going to be loved on by people, they're going to learn the Bible, they're going to learn to worship, they're going to learn the stuff, right? They're going to find out who they are and it's going to set them on a course that changes their life forever. And I, I, when I came across that statistic this week, I was chuckling with the Lord because in our church we have anywhere between on a Sunday morning, anywhere between 15 and 25 kids, which is incredible. But we also only have about eight people who regularly serve in our kids' ministry, and that's awesome as well, but also has its challenges. And so what I want to say is something that we've, um, we've, Caitlin does a lot of stuff with our kids' ministry. You guys probably know that already as well. And she and I have honestly spent the whole summer really asking the Lord, how do we best serve our kids and how do we best serve our families here in this church? And so we're making a shift and I want to recognize that this is a big shift. It's probably bigger for me than it is for anybody else just because we really believe the vision God has given us as a church is that families worship Jesus together, that we all are comfortable being with your parents in church. If you've ever been, you know, I remember being in youth and I would always sit the farthest away from my parents that I could. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, as you're a teenager, you're coming into your own and you want to have your own thing. But there's also this next level thing of what does it look like for me to be comfortable in the presence of God next to my parents? And so the reason why we've had kids in worship all this time was to create an atmosphere where that kind of thing was happening. But as we grow,
grow, and we've had several new families coming around in the last few months, which is amazing. We've had, I don't know, maybe 10 first-time visitor kids just in the last couple weeks, which is also incredible. Every family you add typically comes with a couple of kids, right? And so as we do that and as we bring in more kids and less adults, it kind of creates this thing where this isn't exactly what we're going for and it's just a difficult situation to navigate in terms of do we just make all the worship about the kids? Do we just leave the kids? You guys know what I'm saying because you've lived this with us. And so through tremendous amount of prayer and asking the Lord, what we've decided to do is make a shift where we're going to have our kids ministry running all morning long now. And we're going to try that out and see how it goes for the rest of this year. And then on the Sundays that we have five Sundays a month, on those Sundays we'll have the kids in here with us and we'll do it to where the kids get to actually engage in worship as well. So it's not just that they're having to bring something to do because they get bored, because it is a long amount of time, right? And we respect that and understand that. But I wanted to give you guys a heads up about that. Our plan is to start that the first Sunday of September. So next week, Grant mentioned we're doing our birthday celebration. We're going to spend an extended time in worship together with everybody. We'll have different things that we'll do, communion and things like that, all together. And then when worship is over, we're going to celebrate and party. So it'll be all the kids in here together. The little kids will be, the baby's class will still run um, because all you babies, mothers, know that's hard on them. Um, but then the following Sunday, the first Sunday of September, we are making this change. So I wanted to give you guys a heads up about that and ask you to really prayerfully consider how you can adapt to that change alongside of us. It's going to be an interesting thing. One of the things we feel like God's laid on our heart is during that portion of worship to really engage the kids in worship. So we'll be doing songs with them one week, one week of the month. We'll be doing creative worship kind of stuff like art and journaling. One of the weeks we're going to be doing prayer all together, that kind of stuff. So it's not like they're going to just be back there playing games that whole time. They're actually going to be back there learning what God wants for them in this season for them. And the other thing we're going to be spending the rest of this year looking at with them is um, their spiritual gifts and helping them identify who God has made them to be and what they have to offer in the church as a whole. So starting in September, we're starting a whole series on spiritual gifts. It's an Army-themed series. They kind of started the Army thing today. And then um, when that series is over, we're planning on doing sort of a, a kid leader type series where we're going to teach the kids how they can participate in serving in the church as well. Because we are a small church, and a third of our church is kids, so we want them engaged just as much as all of the adults, right? So going back to the scripture in Matthew where Jesus is challenging everybody, what can you do to help reap the harvest? How can you be a part of tending to the people that God is, is bringing and drawing? So I want to ask you guys to prayerfully consider being a part of our kids ministry in these ways. Number one, you can be a teacher. You can be a support teacher where you're not teaching. You're just there loving on kids when they have to go to the bathroom, that kind of thing. And then the other thing we're gonna, we want to do as we make this change is have opportunities where if you have a desire to teach kids to pray or teach kids to worship, but you don't necessarily want to do all the games and the other stuff, we want to find a way to fit you into that as well. So we're keeping our, our rotation kind of flexible to where it might be one week somebody is only out with the kids during worship and comes back in here and switches places with the teacher. These are things that we'll iron out and work out. But I'm just saying if there's something in your heart that you're like, man, you know, I could participate with that. I could help in that way. Um, and instead of missing 
doing the whole service that day, then I want to know that. So all that being said, I want to know if there's any inkling in you that you're open to serving in our kids' ministry, please come tell me or Caitlin afterwards. In the next couple of weeks, we'll have something. We'll probably send an email where you can formally respond to as well. Um, But it's not just kids. We also can use help with our coffee stand in the back, and we also could use help with our ushering-type stuff of passing the tithe buckets. It's so simple. I understand that. But I think if we look at this as, Lord, we want to be a part of reaping the harvest, right? We want to be a part of sowing in. We want to be a part of serving and all the stuff we talked about last week. These are just some opportunities that you guys can do to do that. So, all right. It's a big shift, and I recognize that, and it's, and it's hard. It's hard on me as well because I love having my kids in the room where there are moments to be able to say, hey, guys, this is what's happening. Can you pay attention to that? And I'm challenged personally as a mother to say, how can I bring that into my home on an even larger scale, you know, and not just look at church on Sunday as the only opportunity where they get something like that, right? Because I don't necessarily think that's what Jesus wants entirely for us. All right, so here we go. Today we are going to be talking about our second secret of successful faith. And if you weren't here last week, I want to redefine for you what successful faith is. And it is not that everything always works for you all the time, right? That everything you touch turns to gold kind of thing. But that successful faith is that your, the Bible, when you read it, comes alive for you, that you interact with God, that your faith works on your behalf, that kind of stuff. So last week, if you weren't here, I highly recommend you catch the podcast and listen to that. It's a very foundational message of what it means when we sow, how to, what we reap, that we reap what we sow, and also how do we cultivate the soil of our hearts so we can partner with God in becoming more like Jesus. And I think that's a very, very important thing. And so today I'm going to share with you another key. There are more, but this is the only other one I'm going to share with you right now of how to have a secret, how to have a successful faith. And it's this. It's Luke 16, verse 10. And in this story, I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. I'm only going to read one verse. Um, But in this story, Jesus is telling a parable. And he tells these parables because he wants to whet your appetite, right? He wants you to kind of like lean in for more. And so he tells you this interesting story. And then he kind of punches you in the face with the truth of it. Does anybody else feel like that sometimes? Maybe just me. We were like, what an interesting story. Bam. Oh, my gosh. Now I have to change everything about my life. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Jesus. That was awesome. And this is one of those moments. He's telling this interesting story about this really evil money manager kind of guy, worldly money manager, and a worldly man who had a huge estate, and he had an estate manager. This is Luke 16 the first part of it. And essentially, the manager of the estate was embezzling the money from the boss, and he was spending it on whatever he wanted. It was bad. Word gets to the boss that this is happening, and the boss is very upset. And so he tells the guy, you're fired, right? And he says, I want a complete audit of everything that you've done, and you're fired. And so the guy, now having no future employment, because who's going to hire him now that he's been you know, a deceitful person, he goes to everybody who owes his boss money, And he makes a deal with him. And he says, if you will cut your bill, and I'll cut your bill in half if you'll pay it right now. Well, they don't know yet that he's been fired, right? And so he shrewdly acquires all this money for himself for his future. And so Jesus is telling this story. And when the the boss finds out about it, the boss is equal parts infuriated with the guy and also sort of commends him for his shrewdness, which is interesting, right? Because you're like, huh, Jesus, this story is fascinating. And then I'll read you two verses. Then in verse 9, 
Jesus continued and he said, remember this, the sons of darkness are more shrewd than the sons of light in their interactions with others. It's important that you use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with God by winning friends and blessing others. Then when this world fails and falls apart, your generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. Verse 10, the one who manages the little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. So the second secret that we're looking at today is what it means to be faithful in the little things that you have in your life. There's other translations of this that talk about when you are faithful with the little things in your life, God will make you ruler over much. It's interesting the Lord ties this principle to money, but I do believe this principle applies to so much more than money. I think it applies to many areas of our life. But the concept here is this, that what's in your hand today is, has the potential to become something more, but it's up to you how you choose to steward it. It goes back to what we were talking about last week, right? And what we sow, we will reap. When we sow generosity, eventually we will reap generosity, right? We have the ability to change the course of our life based on our actions and what we do with what we have right now. When I was in college, my pastor would say it like this. He said, if you want to change the world, you got to get up every day and make your bed. Now, everybody knows in college that's not on your list of things to do, right? And, you know, logical people like me would say, well, if you're just going to get in it again in eight hours, what's the point? Can I get an amen, right? But the concept of what this pastor was saying, I know, right? Amen, pat yourself on the back, but this is actually not permission for you. Sorry. But the concept is this, that if you cannot take care of the little bit you have in your room right now, how can you take care of a whole house? When you go to college, you get a dorm room, you get a one-room apartment, right? And you can maybe, if you can't handle that one room, when you go to have a family and have a couple-bedroom house, it's going to be hard. It's going to take a transition, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. What's in your hand right now determines what else he can add to you. So if we're talking about money, for example, how are you stewarding the little bit of money that you have right now? I don't personally believe that to be a godly person means that we reject all wealth, right? I don't, I don't think that's really what God is saying. I don't believe that money is the root of all evil in a sense that when you have money, the money itself is not evil. It's how it exposes what's already in your heart. Currency becomes an avenue for you to see what you're really made of, right? If you've ever known someone who has used these principles and has amassed godly wealth, we have several friends who have just done incredible things with their businesses. They've dedicated their business. They work really hard, and God has given them a tremendous amount of money from what they do. And there's something different about them than the people who amass wealth from worldly means, right, by just working hard, by being greedy, by not being generous, by all the things of the world. And the difference is what's happening inside of their heart. People who amass wealth through the principles of the kingdom, they have a heart that's free. They're not riddled with anxiety in the same way because they trust God as their provider. I've had some up-close personal experiences with people who have amassed wealth through very worldly means, and I can tell you what you don't usually know is that there is significant amount of turmoil inside of their hearts. There's unbelievable amounts of pressure, of anxiety, of things that are not from the Lord because they have all of this in their hand, but they didn't earn it from Jesus. So in other words, it is possible to have a lot of money and to have earned it outside of the way God wants you to. Proverbs is full of verses of the wicked prospering in that way, right? 
celebrities. You can look at it. But what happens is that the money becomes the avenue for the vices of their heart to, ha- to go out and be filled. And so what's happening inside of your heart is so, so important, right? So what, I, what Jesus is saying here is that if you will follow these principles, he will add to you, but here's the way that it works. He gives you a little bit, and then he tests to see what's going to happen inside of you. Drew, will you put up that first picture for me? I have a picture of this for you, and I want to show this to you. And, and, and when you're using a new material in something, they do these weight tests to see how much it will hold right? And so this is an example of a weight test. This is a piece of wood. They put a little bit of pressure on it, and they see where it's going to give. Well, you don't want this to be the floor of your second story, do you? (laughs) I wouldn't. It would not feel very trustworthy, right? Okay, go to the next picture. What happens if it is, you can see this is being used in construction, right? If it does make it to that floor of your second story, and the weight gets on it, and it begins to fracture, This is why being faithful in the little is necessary for us to become rulers over much. Here's what it looks like. God gives you a little bit. Whatever's in your bank account today, he has entrusted that to you. And the way you steward that, the way you manage the desires of your heart around that, the way you handle the debts that you owe, the way you handle all these things, your tithing, being generous, you're taking care of your needs, all that kind of stuff, right? That is the Lord testing putting pressure to see what's going on in the wood of your life, so to speak. And then when he finds a little fracture, then he goes to work. He goes to work cultivating your soul. He goes to work saying, you know what, you might need to get rid of this in your life. You know what, you might need to fast and not do this. And he gives you examples and things. And while you partner with him, then he strengthens that wood so that he can give you a little bit more. You can take that down. You guys tracking with me? So, so we can talk about money. We can talk about, um, let's talk about relationships, okay? Relationships is another thing we can apply this principle of being faithful in the little to. I don't know about you, but doesn't everybody want to have good friends? It's sort of like something that doesn't go away even after you get out of high school, you know? You still want to have good friends. Some of us find ourselves more hermit-like as we grow older, and that's okay. But there's still a desire for somebody outside your family to know and like you. Isn't it interesting that in the church, we almost never talk about friendships, but yet we expect you to really thrive in small groups? I don't know. I was thinking about that this week. I thought, this is a really interesting thing, Lord. And there's a reality here that relationships are not just easy. They don't always just come to you very naturally. When I was um, young, married, we had our youth pastors that we were serving had moved, and another one had come in, and this couple, I just, I respected them so much, and I really wanted to be friends with the wife of this couple really badly, and we lived in the same neighborhood, and so when I would drive home, I would see another friend of mine's car in her driveway. I'm going to tell you the story. It's really vulnerable, but it has a really good ending, but when I would see my friend's car, this thing would come up in me, and it was, I'll just call it jealousy. That's really what it was, right, and I would think, man, why does she get to be over there, and I don't? And I would sit there and I would think, doesn't she know how much I want to be her friend? Doesn't she know that I think I would be a great friend? (laughs) All the things we think about ourselves, right? Because hopefully you think good things about yourself. And And I drove home on this particular day and I saw my friend's car sitting in her driveway for the third time that week. And my heart just kind of sank. And I thought, man, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me that she doesn't want to pursue me? So I finished the 30-second drive to my house, and I'm sitting in my driveway just having like a woe-is-me moment. Anybody know what that's like? You know, just a little self-pity party, thinking about naming myself self-pity party queen or something like that, you know. 
And I'm sitting there in my driveway, and all of a sudden, the Lord began to speak to me about this verse. And he said, Rachel, what are you doing to pursue that relationship? (laughs) Hey, Lord, uh, that's a tough one, right? I'm like, well, I'm expecting her to pursue me. And he said, well, if you want to have a good relationship with her, why are you not putting in the effort towards that too? And so he gave me a really simple idea. He said, you know what her favorite drink from Sonic is? Why don't you grab one next week? Drop it by. Don't be awkward. Don't be weird. Don't stay a long time. But just go, hey, I got this for you. I just want you to know I think you're awesome. Welcome to town kind of thing. I said, I can do that. And I began to pursue a friendship with her. And, and then she began to call me over. And then I would be over at her house and I would stay for dinner. And we ended up becoming really great friends. And to be completely honest, she and her husband are one of the most foundational people in Grant and I's life. We would not be who we are today had it not been for them. And I'm telling you, if I had not chosen to be faithful with what little bit I had, I would not be able to have received the benefit from that, right? So even in our relationships, when you want to cultivate deeper friendships with somebody, how are you stewarding the ones you already have? How are you treating the people that are in your life right now? Because the way you treat them and the way you give yourself to them is going to determine who the Lord can add to you later, So it can be about money. It can be about relationships. It can be about your marriage. Okay, everybody, put your seatbelt on, okay? Let me just tell you. Can I just be super honest, Grant? It won't be bad about you. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Uh, Anybody know that when you marry somebody, you don't always realize you're also marrying the potential of who you think they could become? right? I married you for who you are today, but half of the reason why I said I do was because of who I know you could become down the road. And then five, ten years goes by, and they're not becoming that person that you thought that they could become. And so then you start to push a little bit harder, right? And then all of a sudden you kind of go, well, I don't want to be married to who you were ten years ago. I want to be married to who I think you could be. Just get on it and become that person, right? But I would say it to you like this. How are you being faithful with the marriage that you have today so that God can add to your marriage the things that you want it to be? Okay? So I remember very vividly several years ago being very upset in my own heart. We'll just say that Grant had nothing to do with it, but, you know, everybody that's married knows it's a two-way street. But I remember going to bed that night, and I was just really wrestling, and I was wrestling with the Lord. Like, it was about God. Like, God, why are you not changing him? Why are you not, right? And I, I could not be at fault with any of this. It's not possible that this is on my end. This is 100% you and you, Jesus. You guys go sort it out so that I can have this life that I really wanted. And the Lord whispered to me, and I will never forget this moment. And he goes, Rachel, what if I became your husband? And I honestly, and I'm just going to be real with you because I resonate with David in the Psalms. He's my soul, my soul brother. And this is what I said to the Lord. I don't want you to be my husband. I already have one. I want you to fix that one so that I can have the marriage you called me to, right? And he can take it, right? When we're honest with the Lord, he can take it. And I wasn't resisting him. I was just stating to me what were facts. And I said, Lord, this is how I I feel about that. And, And God prompted me again, and he said, but what if... What if I became your husband? In other words, what if you let me meet the needs of your heart that you are putting on Grant to meet? 
What if you do that? What if you let me fill those places that you're looking for? Validation, appreciation, all that kind of stuff. You women all know what I mean, right? And the Lord was like, if you'll let me do that for you, I can do something great in your marriage. And I, it took me about two days to really surrender to that. I'm just going to be flat out honest because it was such a paradigm shift for me. But what began to happen was I began to say, all right, Lord, this is the marriage that I have. This is the marriage that I want, but I have to start saying, this is what I have. How can I be faithful with what I have in my hand right now? All right, we've got this much amount of time to spend together, so how can we use that time to the best of our advantage? I've got this many words that he will hear me say. How can I maximize that? I've got, right, and we take stake, and then we say, Lord, I'm going to steward this well so that he will add to it. The amazing thing, I was actually thinking about this a couple weeks ago, that over these course of the years where I put all of that need onto Jesus, and he actually did meet those needs for my heart. It has changed the dynamic of our relationship in ways I couldn't even have imagined. And it has freed up so much pressure in my heart because now I'm not waiting to be disappointed by a person, right? If the disappointment comes, and he's a great husband, so that's, don't read into that, but you know, it's hard to be married. But if the disappointment does come, I've got somewhere to go with it and it doesn't affect me in the same way. So how are you being faithful with the marriage you have today? So this applies to money, to relationships, to marriage. It applies to your belongings. Anybody with a kid knows you give an iPad to a kid and they drop it on the floor three times in a row, they don't get the iPad again, right? You're like, well, nope, you're not ready for that. Why? Because they have to prove themselves trustworthy to be able to give in to give more to them. That's how the Lord is with us. We don't like that, but it is how he is. And here's why. Because God is so eager to bless you, but he loves you too much to destroy you with his blessings. Okay? He is sitting there waiting for you to participate with him to see what's fractured when he puts that weight on you so that he can bolster it, so that he can give you more. That's really what he wants to do. And here, here's the thing. Let's talk about callings for a second, all right? We can do money, relationships, marriage, your belongings. Let's talk about callings. Your calling, God has given you this. Maybe some of you guys have a prophetic word of here's what you're going to do with your life kind of thing, right? Why is it that so many Christians have these amazing prophetic words, but very few of them ever actually achieve them? Could it be, and I'm not going to say it's only this, but could it be that we are just not willing to partner with him enough to make that happen? Could it be that when he starts to lead us into that place and we expose the fractures like that weight test exposes and we don't want to go there because it's hard and it's painful, that maybe that lack of partnership with him is why we're not fulfilling that calling. Your calling has two parts. Surprise. If you're looking for your calling, I'm going to tell you the most important part of it right now. I hope this isn't uh, news to you. But you have two parts of your calling, and the first part is to be in relationship with Jesus. That is the number one reason why you were born onto this earth, period. For your unique personality, the sound of your voice, the rhythm of your heartbeat, the way your blood flows through your, your veins, the way your brain thinks about you know, the economy, the environment, whatever topics you want to pick, the way you're wired, when that worships God and connects with God, that is your number one calling. We, we as Americans find that sort of insignificant because most of that happens in a secret place where you can't see it. But to God, it is very significant. And here's how your calling works. He has a calling, number one, for you that is who you are in him. And then he has a calling, your second part, which is who he wants to be through you. 
But he loves you so much that he will not put you in a place where he is doing the through you part of his calling until you figured out the in you part of it. Does that make sense? And how does he do that? Being faithful with the little that he's given. He gives you this grand vision of your life. And then he says, and now you have this one kid at home. And, this is how, and how you steward that kid is going to determine how closely you get to that calling. Or he says, you, you know, here's the grand calling of your life. And you've got this job where you go eight to five and you serve somebody that you don't like. And you don't like your job. And the Lord is doing that to reveal fractures in your heart so that you can hold the bigger things. It's good. And it's hard. And I recognize it's hard. I've been on this journey where at times I felt a little bit like on the Lord's tortured table. Anybody? Where you're going, anything else you want to just uproot out of my life, Lord? I thought you loved me. (laughs) But that's the thing. He does love you so much. The thing that we don't understand about this big calling is that when you get the pressure of that title, that responsibility, you know, small business owners, we have a lot of small business owners in this church. You know why they're always stressed all the time? Because there's a lot of pressure that comes when the buck stops with you. When you, especially when you're employing other people. There's a lot of burden that comes from that. You might be an employee of a small business and thinking all the ways that you would do it differently once you get your own. But you don't know what it's like when that pressure sits on you. You may be having a ministry calling and saying, man, if I ran a church, if I was in this position, then I would do it this, that, or the other. And I'll just tell you from personal experience, you really don't know what it's like when all of a sudden God calls you and the pressure comes on you and you're going, oh, my word alive. Now I understand why Moses was staring at the bush and going, anybody else? Sounds cool, God, but thanks and no thanks. I really like these sheep out here by myself, right? Because the pressure component, the title that comes on all these different things that you're called to do, whether it's business, whatever it is, maybe it's being a teacher, etc., right? Even just being a mother or a father. But when that comes on you, it puts a weight on you. And so the Lord has to know that what's inside of you is solid enough to where when that weight comes upon you, it's not going to crush you. It's not going to expose weakness in your heart. It's not going to hurt other people because of the sins that come out of you when you're in that environment. So your calling is one of the best ways that we can steward, that you can steward. It might be like this. I, I'm, I'm a preacher. Okay, that's not a surprise to you guys. I've always known that was part of my calling, okay? And I had this encounter with the Lord several, several years ago. It's probably been about six years ago now. And, um, and I had gone to this conference, and there were 14,000 women in this conference, and it was an unbelievable experience, and it was the room. Everybody was just so hungry. It was incredible. And as someone who loves to preach, of course, I'm, I'm just being very vulnerable with you guys here because we're all family, okay? So please don't judge me, but even if you do, God bless you in your judgment. So I would just remind you in this moment that the Bible does say, in the measure you judge, you will be judged. But anyways... Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to tell it to you straight. So, of course, I sit there in that setting, and I think to myself, man, what would it be like to get to be one of those speakers, right? To get to be used by God in that way, to, to speak to a crowd of 14,000. One of the women, when she was done speaking, I kid you not, people in the crowd started shouting, shouting, don't stop, because it was so powerful what she was saying. And she's going, I got to I gotta submit to the leadership here. We got to take a break. Da, da, da. And people in the crowd are going, don't stop. By the time we got to the bookstore, there was a line of 140 people lining out of the bookstore. All of her product was gone like that at the end of the session because the hunger that was in people and what she was talking about was so amazing. Okay. So I'm sitting there thinking, man, Lord, I would love that to be me someday. That would just be so cool. That would be quote success, at least the way we look at it in our eyes. 
And so I was spending time with the Lord in that same season, and God began to speak to me. He said, Rachel, what if I gave you one opportunity to speak to a crowd of 10,000 people? And let's just say that a 1,000 or so of them were in the bathroom halfway through your message, right? And then of the other whatever is left, I'm not good at math, 9,000 people, you know, let's say that a third of those were totally checked out. They're on their phones. They're getting a snack. They're thinking about where lunch is going to be. And so now we've got half the crowd. There's only 5,000. And this is real. This is how it works at conferences, right? So then he says, you've got about 5,000 people left in the room, and only half of them are really going to be in a place where they can receive whatever you have to say. And he said, so your big moment of speaking to 10,000 people, you might only catch like 2,500 people in there. I was like, oh, that." Yeah, that's interesting, Lord. I hadn't thought about that. And then he said, but what if you looked at it like this? What if all the effort that you would put into speaking to a crowd like that, right? All the, the thought that would go into it, all the preparation. There's a lot of preparation that goes into speaking in, in this environment. He said, what if you put all that effort into the one person that you encountered on a weekly basis? And he said, what if as I brought single people to you, at the grocery store, at church, at the end of the service, wherever, if you put all that effort into loving them and connecting them and speaking right into their heart, by the end of your life, you will have reached way more than 10,000 people in that one moment. It pierced my heart. And the Lord gave me this phrase, and he, he just, he wrecked me with this daily for weeks. And he said, you just have to love the one you're with. The one person that's in front of you, you love the one you're with, and you give them everything that's inside your heart, and you quit caring about what's going to happen down the road. Because every single person that you encounter is so valuable to the Lord, right? And so if you have a ministry calling or you have ministry aspirations at all, sometimes we, we are so naturally drawn as Americans to go, oh, these aspirations look like having a huge social media following or having a huge a huge whatever. It's always got to be big in our minds. But what if we completely rejected that system altogether because it's not from the Lord? And we looked at it and said, everything I do, I'm going to do it for you, Jesus, and for the part of you, Jesus, that's inside the one person I'm interacting with right now. God puts it this way in Colossians 3.23. This is one of my favorite verses, and he says, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. Whatever you do, are you cleaning a toilet? You're cleaning a toilet unto the Lord. Are you, you know, changing a diaper? You're doing it for Jesus. Are you telling somebody how God loves them? You're doing it to Jesus. Are you doing a, you know, you're writing a check for your business? You're doing it unto Jesus, every single thing. And so when we begin to do that, God exposes things in our life. He, he exposes the areas of weakness. And then when we partner with him, then he adds a little bit more. And so now it's not just the one person that you're talking to, but it's like two or three. And then as you can steward that well and you can keep all of their hearts in you, then the Lord will add to that maybe five, maybe 10, maybe 50. Maybe you never grow past 50 because maybe that's the measure that God has given to you. Or maybe it does become 10,000. Who's to say? But one of the big factors in that is related to how you are willing to steward what's in your hand right now. Jesus tells this story. Well, it's not a story. This happened in real life. But he was preaching to a crowd of 5,000. You guys are familiar with this, right? And they were hungry, and the disciples started panicking because I guess they didn't want to look bad. There weren't any food trucks around, and back then you needed to have brought your food, you know. And there was this one mother who doesn't even make it into the story who thought to herself, my son is getting the opportunity of a lifetime to go listen to this rabbi Jesus. I don't even think she was probably there with him. 
because she was clearly smart enough to send him with the lunch. She would have packed one for herself too, right? Us mamas know you're not going to leave yourself out. But she thought to herself that morning, I'm going to give my son an opportunity of a lifetime. I'm going to send him with these five, they call them loaves, but in reality, they were really like rolls, okay? It wasn't like he brought, you know, whole foods with him. It was like a couple rolls and two little fish, right? And, 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 he, and they're looking for somebody with food, and this one mother loved her kid so much to send him with lunch and probably a little bit extra to share with his friends. And so this little boy, because he has a heart to give, because his mother clearly had a heart to give, he stands up to Jesus and he goes, this is what I've got. I've got these five little rolls and these two fish. And Jesus looks at him and he's like, yes, what you have in your hand right now, I am going to do something miraculous with. Just wait, right? So he takes that food, he blesses it. And he gives a little bit of it to his disciples in their little baskets, and they go and they feed. You guys know the story. All these 5,000-plus people eat this food, and there are 12 baskets left over of it. But did the miracle happen instantly when he gave the food? No. It was in the using of the food that the miracle replenished. It wasn't that when Jesus blessed it, all of a sudden there was instant, you know, like a Lunchable in front of everybody on the hillside. It was just enough in the basket. As he would reach in and pull out, more came out of it, Right? There was like a replenishment factor that was the miracle of what was happening there. And so as the disciples began to steward what they had, and they begin to give a little bit here, a little bit here, and it never runs out because the Lord multiplied it. And I feel like God just wants us to catch in our minds right now to not be overwhelmed by the worldly standard that we're staring at today, but to focus on Jesus and say, this is what I have in my hand today or in my household today or in my bank account today or whatever this is hitting in your heart. The friends that you have right now, maybe you want better friends. So what are you doing with the friends you have? If they're toxic, just get rid of them, right? That's sort of hopefully obvious. But if they're just not your greatest friends, how can you steward them in a way? It's just real talk, right? But how? <laughs> but if you're wanting better friends, we've all been there when you're like, man, I wish I had a friend who understood me more, right? So how are you stewarding the ones you have right now so that God can bring those to you? Because this is a principle that Jesus himself made so clear to his disciples. If you will understand how to steward what I have given you, there will be nothing impossible for you. It's, it's beautiful. And the great thing is, it's not like nothing becomes impossible to where, let me put it this way. So you know the Chewbacca mom. Anybody know the Chewbacca mom? This is one of the best examples of being faithful and little that I can think of. She's a worship leader at her house. She's a mom. If you don't know her, look her up. You're in for a treat, okay? A very ordinary person from Texas. She goes to Kohl's, I think, and sees this Chewbacca mask. It's a toy. And she thinks to herself, this is funny. I'll buy this for my kids. It's like $20. And then she videos herself to her own, her handful of friends on Facebook. I think she was the only even, like, expecting five or seven of her friends to watch this video, okay? She puts the mask on, and when you open your mouth, it makes the Chewbacca noise come out of it. For your sake, I won't try to replicate that. And so she starts opening her mouth to try to talk on the video, and she's laughing so hysterically. The whole 30, 45 seconds is just her laughing with Chewbacca noises coming out, right? And it became an overnight viral sensation. This woman was on the Today Show, on every morning talk show you can imagine. And what was her message? It was actually the joy of the Lord. And it was putting your hope in Jesus. And she began to have opportunities to share her testimony of how God had transformed her life. She got invited to Lucasfilm's ranch to go meet the people there. 
They paid for her to go out there. Here's this little mom in a small town in Texas, you know, outside of Dallas, who loves Jesus, who's worshiping, who's being faithful in the little, and the Lord added to her. But here's what's amazing about her story that can't be said for every viral sensation, is that it did not sink her. She soared, Right? But what happens is when we are expecting to just get our day and we're looking at the world structure, when you get that overnight sensation, you can't maintain it because you haven't been working with the Lord to deal with your junk. We all have the junk. And that's what I love about her story. We could go through several back and forth of good ones and bad ones you guys are probably all thinking about in yourself. But so here's my question to you. What is in your hand right now And what can you do to be more faithful with what's in your hand right now? I'll just be completely honest. I've been so convicted about this, both of these messages last week and this week, and they've been for me too. This isn't something that I feel like Grant and I are like, you know, excellent, excellent at. These are things that we've put into practice in our life, and we have seen the benefit of it in a lot of ways. But this is where we are right now is not where we want to be. So what do you want to see more of in your life? You want more mercy? How are you stewarding the mercy you have? You want more love? You want more peace? We all want to be prosperous, but prosperity is very little about money. It's a lot about what's happening inside of you, right? Your peace, your, your joy, how much you enjoy your life, all of those kinds of things are included in prosperity. So God wants to give you a promise this morning, and this is where I want to land because I really believe this is how the Lord told me he wanted us to end, and, and it's to issue this promise is that God is eager to bless you. He is eager to bless you financially. He is eager to bless you with great relationships, with the best marriage you could possibly dream for, with greater stuff. Maybe it's a car or whatever. I don't know. I'm not a car person. He wants to bless you in your calling. He is eager to do that. And so in that promise, you have to hold on to that so that you can convince yourself on the hard days to be eager to work with him. Right? Because unfortunately, we don't really get to pick the day that he chooses to highlight an issue. (laughs) That'd be really great. I'm going to feel really good on Tuesday next week, Lord, so let's deal with it then, right? No, you'll be walking along, and then he's like, bam, conviction. You're like, oh. Anybody else? No, just me, right? And you're like, I didn't realize I was doing that. That feels really bad, Lord. And then, and then we have a choice to make. Do we work with him? Do we repent like we talked about last week? Do we apply grace? Do we do all these different things? Or do we just say, oh, well, hmm. Right? So your promise from the Lord to hold on to is that he is eager to bless you. And he wants you to be eager to respond to him. So I want to pray, and I want to bless your heart. (laughs) And I really want to challenge you guys this week. Just be thinking through it, right? It's not like you have to bear the weight of all of this on your shoulders at one time. But you just ask the Lord, what's, what's fracturing? I love that weight test picture because you don't always know where on the wood it's going to splinter right? And so we just give God permission to show us that. And then when that happens, then we turn it back on him. We say, okay, Lord, now you've revealed it. Now you heal it. Now you show me what I need to do to participate with you. So I want to pray for you guys. Holy Spirit, I just release your blessing onto each and every person here this morning. Lord, we, we, we want to be like you and we want to absorb the way you tell us how to live. And we want to grow from where we are now to someplace even better. And so I just pray for just your divine steps to be laid out in front of each one of us, that as we seek you 
And as we let you tend to our hearts and show us how to be more faithful with what you've given, Lord, we trust that your promise is that you will bless us and you will add to us. And so when it feels hard and difficult, I just even prophetically in those moments that will be coming, I just apply this promise over every person's heart right now. And Lord, would you remind them when it gets hard that the hard parts are to work with you so that we can receive your blessing and that we can rise up under the pressure that comes on and not be buckled under it. So, Lord, I pray your blessing over every person in this room. I pray pray just a showering of love over every single heart here in the name of Jesus. And over the course of this week, may they be filled to overflowing like they have never felt before, that your presence would be so palpable and tangible in their hearts and minds and in their spirits this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here today. I've said this the last couple of weeks because I I genuinely mean it. We know you can be anywhere on a Sunday, but when you choose to be in church week in and week out, God does amazing things. He does amazing things in your family and in your heart, and we are so honored to get to be a part of that with you. So we'll see you next week as we celebrate what God is doing. It's going to be awesome.